There is a podcast that lies between the imagination of two simple-minded earthlings. Travel with these two longtime friends, Jimbo and 80s E, as they attempt to explore the fifth dimension. Follow along with them as they take the key and unlock the door to the vast space between shadow and substance. This podcast is one of trivia, of insight, and of sounds and ideas from one of the greatest television shows ever produced. You are embarking on a timeless journey. There is your signpost up ahead. You are entering the tragedy of cinema's Twilight Zone. The year is 1847. The place is the territory of New Mexico. The people are a tiny handful of men and women with a dream. Eleven months ago, they started out from Ohio and headed west. Someone told them about a place called California, about a warm sun and a blue sky, about rich land and fresh air. And at this moment, almost a year later, they've seen nothing but cold, heat, exhaustion, hunger, and sickness. This man's name is Christian Horn. He has a dying eight-year-old son and a heartsick wife. And he's the only one remaining who has even a fragment of the dream left. Mr. Chris Horn, who's going over the top of a rim to look for water and sustenance. And in a moment, we'll move into the twilight zone. All right, guys, welcome back to the Tragedy of Cinema podcast. I'm your host, Jimbo, and joined today from the Fifth Dimension, my co-host... 80Z from uh, a little over 100 yards over the rim here in uh, north... West side of Indy. That's right. Our fifth dimension is in Indianapolis, Indiana. So anybody in the neighborhood, come by and say hi. It's at Eric's house, Yeah, it's been hard to see (laughs) over uh, 10 feet over the rim with all this Canadian smoke that's been coming down. Man, what is going on, dude? It looked like Tatooine from Star Wars here the other day. I'm telling you what, man. It's not safe to be outside. Yeah, it's crazy. uh, With my bad lungs, it's pretty bad. So hopefully they get that under control, Canada. We love you. Our friends to the north. Yeah. So, Eric, here we are. We find ourselves once again in the fifth dimension. Uh, this is episode 23 of season two, trudging right along now. A mm-hmm. hundred yards over the rim. Um, it's a very interesting episode. Um, and, you know, with you and your time travel, I thought you would like this probably a little bit more than I think you would. But we'll, we'll find out for sure. So... I know last week's was our last time we recorded was a little long, so maybe this one will be a little shorter. I don't think there's quite as much information. Maybe we won't go down a WrestleMania <laughs> rabbit hole again yeah. like we did last time. So go ahead, All Eric. Right. Take it away. Here we go. 100 yards over the rim. This is the Twilight Zone season number two, episode number 23. It was directed by Buzz Kulik. It was uh, written by Rod Serling. We have uh, some featured music here by Fred Steiner. Uh, that is notated for us. Uh, the original air date for this episode was April the 7th, 1961. And you know what time it is. It's this special segment in our episode that we like to call... On This Day in History. Alright, so on this day in film and TV history, and this is for the date of April the 7th, Here's an interesting TV note. In 1927, all the way back to 1927, the first long-distance television transmission took place. And oddly enough, it was an image of Secretary of Commerce at the time, Herbert Hoover. 
sent, uh, there was an image of him sent from Washington, D.C. to New York City, and it was sent by none other than our friends at AT&T, who are still around. And just, just regarding our last episode, Long Distance Call, do you remember when we used to have, you know, phones that hung on a wall, and you had, like, your local... Oh, yeah. Telephone, and then you had your long distance service. You had they were two separate entities, and if you wanted to call long distance out of your area code, you had to either have AT and T. I don't remember another uh, MCI or somebody was a long distance carrier. Uh, do, do you remember? But do you remember the uh, the collect number you'd have to do? Remember those TV commercials about one eight hundred collect or whatever C O L L E C T. Yeah, or I had a calling. We had these kids. We had this thing called a calling card, and it had all these numbers on it. And you had to punch them all in before you. Oh uh, yeah. You put money on the calling card and you could use you, you use it to make long distance calls. But anyway, I'm kind of crossing over on our last week's episode, but so 1927, the first image sent. Uh so let's move ahead to the 1970s. Okay? Let's talk about the 42nd Academy Awards. Uh Midnight Cowboy won best picture for the 42nd Academy Award in 1970. Uh, and then John Wayne won the Best Actor Award for True Grit. That's a great movie. Uh, I like the remake a little bit better than probably the original, oddly enough. Um, so, uh, True Grit, that was a great movie. That I, I can't remember. It was in the mid-2000s, I think, they did a remake. Uh, it slips in my mind now. but um, So, uh, True Grit. And Maggie Smith won Best Actress I have no frame of reference for this movie, but the movie was called The Prime of Miss Jane Brody. That was the picture that she was in, so she you know, won uh, Best Actress in the 42nd. You know who Maggie Smith is, though, right? Tell me. You don't know? I, I can't think. I think she was, uh, if I read, now correct me, I'm probably going to hate Mill if I get this wrong, <laughs> but I do believe she was Professor McGonagall in... Uh, Harry Potter oh, series. Oh, is that right? Okay. And she also played the uh, the grandmama in uh, Downton Abbey. Okay. Two more. I believe. Two more things that I'm not really familiar with, but uh, that will be. Bro, Downton Abbey's pretty good. I ain't going to lie. Okay. You need to watch it. All right. You, you've got my voodoo access. Go watch it. All right. Will do. So back to our episode at hand here. Uh, we already talked about dates. Let's talk about the total production costs. We're, we're back on track with a regularly filmed uh episode here no no videotape 58,000 58,879 58,879 let me just take a look back at what the videotape episode cost uh, the long distance call was 50,747 so about $8,000 more to film this particular episode uh when we adjust that for inflation we're looking at almost $600,000 uh 598,886 uh, dollars and seven cents now for production costs was it worth eight thousand dollars more to film I, I think so i mean i think long distance call we we could have made the argument that it would have been better if it would have been filmed it was it worth eight thousand more dollars i think we could make the argument that it would have been but uh mm-hmm. not to not to keep beating that dead horse because that was from last week but the dates of rehearsal for this episode was March the 1st and March the 2nd of 1961. And then we had three days for filming for this episode. It was March the 3rd, the 6th, and the 7th, all in the year 1961. And Jimbo, that's all I have on preliminary uh, trivia or details. Go ahead and hit us with that cast. Well, well before you do that, let me, let me just, uh, my trusty companion here, um, I would like to 
put this in right here. <laughs> um, we we always heard that with the Twilight Zone, it was all about saving money. Mm-hmm. Um, that was one of the big things from the studios and all that. So, um, according to my trusty Twilight Zone companion by Mark Scott Zickery, uh, it says, in order to save money whenever possible, Buck Houghton liked to schedule two shows utilizing similar locations back-to-back so that the crew would only have to make one trip outside of the studio. So, yes, both a hundred yards over the rim, and I believe it's the very next episode, the Rip Van Winkle caper, were shot in the desert near Lone Pine, California. The first to be filmed was 100 Yards Over the Rim. The episode boasts many good performances, but it's powerful center performance by Cliff Robertson that holds the show together. So there you have that. So I like how they do that where it's kind of like, I think, The Lord of the Rings. They filmed them all at the same time in New Zealand. I think it was over like a three-year period. Mm-hmm. Instead of, you know, doing one, coming back, doing another one, coming back. Right. You know, they just stayed over there and used some of the same sets and all that. So I just thought that was a little bit of cool information. Yeah, very cost-effective for sure. That's uh pretty smart so um let's move to the plot of this episode actually do you want me to give the cast i'm sorry yes why don't you give us the cast before i move on to the plot i'm getting ahead of myself here i thought you was just gonna jump right on in there and keep on going brother we didn't even get the cast my my apologies please tell us who was in this marvelous episode man that's all right i'll just blame it on the canadian smoke (laughs) (laughs) all right so we had yes cliff uh, Robertson, I think he played an outstanding performance in this episode. It's pretty much uh, his episode. Uh, he plays Christian Horn. Um, Eric, I don't know if you know this, but he was in Spider-Man 1 and 2 from 2002 playing Ben Parker. Really? He was oh. Ben Parker, the the guy that gets shot. His, yeah. Uh, Spider-Man's, yeah. Yeah, Uncle Ben. Yes. He was also in Escape from L.A., where he played the president. So... I thought that was really cool. I read that. I was like, oh, man, Uncle Ben's in this. Uh, then you had John Crawford, who played Joe. Uh, he was in the Poseidon Adventure, uh, where he was a chief engineer. That's another great movie, if you've never seen it. And then how about this this one? Evans Evans. Yeah, I know, right? right? Yeah. <laughs> Evans Evans. Crazy name. It was Mary, played Mary Lou. She was in Bonnie and Clyde, where she played Velma Davis. Uh, Edward Platt, uh, he was the doctor. He was in uh, one very good movie uh, with Cary Grant, North by Northwest, where he played Victor Larby. Great movie. He was also in one of James Dean's movies, Rebel Without a Cause, where he played Ray, uh, Ray Francis. So two very good movies that Edward Platt uh, had a lot of good a lot of good acting roles. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had Miranda Jones. Uh, she was Martha Horn. You had Ken Drake. It just says he was credited as a man. Uh, you had Robert McCord, who played the sheriff. Uh, Jennifer Bunker as a woman. And then, yes, none other than John Aston. We all know John Aston. He played Charlie. Probably his most famous performance and probably the best Gomez Adams from the Adams family okay. uh, was in there. Um, he was he was the guy that, you know, was like, hey, how far are we going to go? You know, all this. He's like, well, I'm just going to go over the hill or, what, or over the rim. Uh, but he was also in um, Return, uh, Return of the Killer Tomatoes. And he was in The Frighteners, the old Michael J. Fox uh, movie, if you've ever seen The Frighteners. Have you ever seen it? No, I haven't seen that one. Oh, you need to check it out. I guess Pretty so. good. And then, last but not least, you have the late, great Rod Serling comprising his role as, yes, the narrator and the self-host once again. So, Eric, take it away for that plot. All right. I'll get to the plot now. So, Christian Horn is a member of an 1847 wagon train headed west. 
They are 1,500 miles from St. Louis and are now in the New Mexico desert. Many in the wagon train are ready to turn back, but Chris wants everyone to persevere. His son has had a fever for 11 days now, and Chris goes off looking for water, only 100 yards or so from the others, and suddenly finds himself in the present day. He can't quite bring himself to believe what he sees or where he is, but those he meets believe he's a man from the past. The trip in time does have one positive outcome and we'll get to that at the very end we we see the positive outcome so if you don't have anything else i'm just going to launch right into the first scene here and uh launch away it's a it's a desert scene and there is the said wagon train the first scene that we get is uh i think there's three wagons and uh the the at the head of this wagon train is christian horn and he stops here in the middle of the desert, and uh, boy, things are looking really bleak. Like they've gone fifteen, uh, well, close to fifteen hundred miles, or maybe it's fifteen hundred miles from St. Louis to California is their ultimate destination. Uh, but they're here in the New Mexico desert right now. Right, but you find out they started in Ohio. Yeah, it was born, and in they've Ohio, just yeah. now. Uh, yeah, and so now it's been eleven months, and they're still not into California yeah. yet. You know, that just makes you think, like, dude, people were risking their life and their family's life. It's not, right. we take it for granted. Like, we want to go to, I mean, if you or I just wanted to take time off work and drive to California, we could get in one of our vehicles and it probably would get us there, you know, without too much trouble, hopefully. And it would take, at the most, maybe two days. You're talking 11 months versus two days. Or if you want to fly there, you can get there in four hours. I mean... Uh, it's just crazy. If you, if you ever watch a documentary on PBS that talks about the Dust Bowl, there there was a whole series about the Dust Bowl in the 1940s. That is wild. The people just in Kansas and Nebraska, they just up and left their their farms and their fields and stuff, and they just just risked life and limb to go to California, even even in the 1940s. Crazy. Well, not only that, but this is set in the time where the West was probably still really not exploring. There was a lot of Indians in the territory, yeah. too. So uh, that comes up in the episode quite a bit about, you know, what about the Indians, you yeah. know? Um, so back to our episode here, uh, the, 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 the situation here, the context is the Christian's son is sick with a fever. We talked about that in the plot. Uh, he has been sick for 11 days. Uh, there's no water, there's no food, there's no medicine. And Christians replied to the people in the company who want to turn back to St. Louis. He says, if you try to go, uh, if you try to go the 1500 miles back to St. Louis, I'll guarantee you, you'll leave your bones bleached on some desert. He's like, guys, we've already come, you know, things look terrible. And, and even his own wife is like, look, Christian, you might want to find a place in, in a nice open area that is in a nice, beautiful area because we're probably going to have to bury our son here uh, shortly. Mm-hmm. Like, find a nice spot for it. And so it, it is no doubt very bleak situation. And they have weary travelers. I mean, I'm sure people can relate. Like, they're at the end of their rope, basically. Like, if they don't find food, water, some kind of shelter, like, they're all going to die out there anyway. But Christian's response is like, there's no way that we're going to, if we turn back now, there's no way you're going to make it back. We've gone too far. We've gone past the point of return. Like we just got to keep pushing on. 
And it really just speaks to, again, just to, to reiterate that, like, the spirit of the people that lived in that day. It really captured that spirit. Um, and after, you know, they sort of have this powwow with the wagon train, the three wagons sort of circle each other and they have this discussion. Uh, it's decided that Christian is like, hey, I'm just going to go 100 yards over this rim here above in the desert. I'm going to see if if I can see anything at the top of this thing and you know, try to search for water or what have you. And then, uh, the camera sort of pans really quickly. And then we get to, uh, Rod's introduction. And so, unless you, do you have anything else you want to add? That's sort of the first scene that we. Well, just, just, you know, you think about a hundred yards, that's basically a football field. Yeah. Uh, that's how far he is away and that's how far this rim is. So it's basically like a, if I, if I would say like a big sand dune Mm -hmm. that he's going up to the top of and he's going to go look and see if he can see anything on the other side. So just so when it says a hundred yards over the rim, it's basically saying, Hey, I'm going to walk up this sand dune. It's about a hundred yards and see what's on the other side. So, so that's where the scene closes and the, and then we, um, go to a, standard like commercial and then we come back and we we see um christian he's gone over the rim and on the at the on the other side we see uh, paved roads right um but well first he looks back to tell everyone kind of like what his eyes sees and everyone in his company has disappeared and he's he kind of exclaims to himself like hey what's going on like what's going on here uh and it's you know it goes without saying that he's passed through the shadow of the twilight zone and he's been catapulted into the future because we can see power lines and paved roads now in the shot so he walks down the other side of the the hill uh or the ridge there and as he hits the uh, the paved road that he's never seen before, he has an encounter with a, a monster, if you will. <laughs> he calls it a monster because he, he doesn't know how to describe it. It's really a, a semi-truck, right? It passes him going, you know, pretty quick, pretty high rate of speed. And he's he's kind of thrown to the shoulder of the road as it passes by because it passes by pretty close to him and when he jumps to the side of the road his rifle discharges right and i can't tell if where he got shot like uh do you get shot in the arm or the hand i don't know what happened it looks like it it fires and it might have hit him like grazed his hand it never really the episode never really says but you know what i didn't even know that he got shot i just knew his firearm discharged i didn't yeah, really pay I think attention that's that he got shot what the i don't know he's got blood on his left hand and he kind of clutches his wrist a little bit at when he's when he's on the shoulder of the road but then he stands up and he he just starts walking he, he uh you know starts walking up this road and then he comes to a a sign after he's walking for some distance and the sign reads Joe's air flight cafe and gas station one mile ahead. And it's interesting. If you, if you follow the twilight, the twilight zone has a, a Facebook group and I pulled a picture off the, I'll post it when we uh, post this episode um, on our Facebook group, 
but the the Air Flight Cafe actually still stands. Like I think it was built in like the 1930s or 40s, and it's been bought by you know various owners and been remodeled, and it doesn't look anything like it does in this episode now. But uh, I guess it's still as of I think 2015. So I don't know if it's still there now, but um, I, I, as of 2015, it was still around. So, um, so as Christian walks to the gas, well, there's also a gas station. It's not only a diner; it's a gas station as well. He meets the proprietor, and uh, Christian meets Joe, and he's the proprietor, the owner of the cafe. And uh, so we first have him walking over the rim, and then the third part of the the procession through the episode is resting at the cafe. He meets Joe. Joe asks Christian how long he's been in the desert and offers him fresh water and medical attention, like when they go inside the cafe. So they have a, a little bit of a conversation outside the cafe, and Joe is trying to, like, size this guy up, and he's asking him, like, how long you been out here? And he says, like, 11 months or something like that, or a year. And he looks weird, right? Because his clothing is not modern in any way. Which I read something interesting, too, about... Um, who was the actor that played Christian? Cliff Robinson. Cliff Robinson. Yeah, I guess. Uh, and this may, I mean, this may be in my notes and I'm bringing it up too early, but I'll just insert it here. I guess it was suggested by the prop people for this episode that uh, he wears like a traditional cowboy hat. But he insisted. I have it right here. Oh, okay, you got it. I have it, it right okay, here. Go ahead and read it for us. Trusty companion. <clears throat> so... Um, as far as the Chris Holland, he plays with his role with intelligent conviction, singing in movement, expression, even accent, every bit of the 19th century man. Director Buzz Kulik recalls being impressed with Robertson's methods. He came to me while we were rehearsing with an eight or nine page analysis <laughs> of his character that he had written. And he said, will you read this and see if you agree or disagree or if is there anything you can add? Well, we used uh, to do that when we were all kids just out of acting school, but very few people take the time to do that. In his striving for authenticity, Robertson sometimes went to lengths that people on the set found curious. Both Kulik and Robertson wanted the main character to not look like a cowboy, but rather to wear what actually might have been worn by an Easterner on his way west. Says director of photography George Clemens, do you remember he wore a big stovepipe hat? It was Cliff's idea, and I was so scared that we'd be laughed off the screen uh, on the first scene. In fact, Rod was back in uh, inner, inner Lake Lakin, town in upstate New York, bordering Cayuga Lake, and I even insisted that Buck call him and talk to him. Comedy and drama are so close that if you step over one side, you get a laugh, and you ruin the whole effect of the drama. But I was wrong, and I was the first guy that admitted it. Cliff was a great guy, and I thought he did a blank of a job. Yeah, so I guess he yeah he insisted that he wear that hat, uh, the stovepipe hat, which uh, I mean fits perfectly. You can't see it any other way. I wouldn't. I can see how it wouldn't look right if he wore like a traditional like cowboy hat. Um, so we're in the diner. Joe's offered him um, fresh water. And it's funny, like, when he hands him that glass of water from the diner, how Christian holds it up, and he's like, I can't, like, you can tell that he's amazed that the water is so crystal clear, probably compared to right. the dirty, muddy water that he's been drinking all the way out here, <laughs> right? I thought that was a great little acting tell. That, that was really neat. 
Uh, so as Mary Lou, who is Joe's wife, she tends to Christian. She's, I think she's like a nurse or something on the side or, uh, um, so she has, you know, a kit in the back of the diner. She binds up the, the, and cleans up the blood on his, uh, left wrist or whatever. And then this is a key point. Uh, eventually, uh, she gives him penicillin, uh, Mm -hmm. which she tells him will keep the, um, the infection infection. away. Yeah. And so then Christian just kind of has this look of dazed and bewildered. And, uh, he's kind of walking around the diner, looking at all these modern effects to him. He doesn't know what to to make of them or think of them. He doesn't. The the jukebox. Yeah, right. The jukebox (laughs) and, um, some of the dishes that are on, um, one of the, the counters. And so Joe is just really inquisitive. He's like, where are you from? And that, that's where we talked about earlier. Uh, Christian says he's from Ohio and he talks about how he got to be where he is. He went over the rim to look for water. And then Joe says, well, there's a spring, like not, you know, I don't know. Um, so many yards that are mile down the road. And Christian asks him, well, do they have game? And he's, you know, Joe's like game. Like <laughs> we don't hunt for game anymore. Like this is something is not right. Right. Um, and so, I already talked about Marianne giving, or sorry, Mary Lou giving him the penicillin. And he, uh, Christian asked, well, where did you get this? And she said, the drugstore. And then she explains that uh, this will keep infection away. And then Christian says, so you say this is good for sickness or something to that effect. And then we get to an important part of the episode. There's a calendar on the wall that states uh, like 1961. It's right behind. It's in the camera shot. Uh, where a Christian in the frame where Christian is standing and then he turns around and looks over his shoulder and you know it's really dramatic music and it and on the top of the calendar is like a wagon train which is exactly what he's in but the calendar says September 1961 and then Christian he just is bewildered he's like who are you and where am I where is this place and well he says he says it says September 1961. He's like, he's like, it's 1847. Right. So he's right. Um, so after that, after he tells her, you know, he goes, where am I? What's going on here? What is this place? Where am I? And Mary Lou drops the glass when he says 1847 or whatever. Uh, he backs away and then the scene kind of ends and we go to commercial and then the next scene, we have, like, the doctor emerges from, like, a back room um, after a few seconds. And so, Joe and the doctor and Mary Lou, they, they have this discussion, and they're asking the question, well, Doc, do you think his problem is it physical or is it psychological? Is he suffering from some type of delusion? Because this guy has got the air most airtight story about his family where he came from and the doctor even says well the fillings in his mouth are true to the, the time fillings. like no modern dentist put these in because uh they don't look like anything that anyone would do in the current time and i like what he said he said well he's a little malnourished he said but otherwise he's a fine specimen right. you know he's perfect shape basically yeah yeah 
Um, so after they have a little bit of a discussion, you know, the doc is like, hey, I need some coffee. We're going to talk about this. And, uh, you know, he talks about, um, he seems very rational, et cetera, et cetera. The doc decides he's like, this is out of my hands. I'm going to call the sheriff and get the authorities involved to take care of this guy. And so the doc goes over to the phone and he calls the sheriff and about that time, Christian comes out, he's holding an encyclopedia and he's found an entry describe an entry in the encyclopedia describing his son who ultimately will become a pioneer in vaccine research as an MD. And in, I think it was like child care, like, child pediatrics and it was in it was in vaccines and child's diseases yeah and so christian says quote he says that's my son that's chris maybe crazy or the world may be turned upside down but i know that i've been put here for a reason a reason thank you you've been kind and gracious and i appreciate it and is this where he like runs out of the diner at that point yeah but i but i think it's interesting to say that the doctor also says well from what he's describing it sounds like his boy has pneumonia Mm -hmm. you know what i mean so yeah he he says that he's like hey we called the authorities the authorities are coming you know to get you some help or whatever and that's where he takes his gun and he basically shoves in i believe uh what's his name joe Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah joe's chest and he runs out the door and takes off down the road yeah so yeah, he he was a like the doc said he was a pretty fine specimen because he's he's running pretty fast on the shot going outside the cafe yeah. like he's he's hightailing it. So then there's several frames of him running down the road that he was just on, and he and he makes it back to the rim, and uh, he's running away from the sheriff back to the rim. The patrol car catches up to Christian as it it turns off the road. Christian stumbles and drops his rifle as he's starting to run back up to the top of the rim again. And he drops the pills too, but he picks the pills back up. Oh, does he? I didn't catch that little tidbit. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Joe and the sheriff they give chase. They're they're running after him, but when he crosses over the rim, the wagon train returns into view, and he basically disappears from Joe and the sheriff's sight. And, uh, well, he turns back around and looks too. And yeah. the sheriff and them aren't there on. Right. So it's basically reverse of what he saw exactly. at the beginning of the episode. Yeah. He, he's back with the wagon train again. He, he sees it in his view down the hill and, uh, he goes back and joins him. And is this where the wife is like, he's like, or he says something like, sorry, I was gone so long or something like that. And she's like, what are you talking about? You were only gone like, 20 seconds or whatever. A few seconds. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, so then I think at that point he gives the penicillin to uh, his wife to give to his son, Christian Jr. Yeah, he says give him, give him two pills of yeah. these so he should be okay. And then uh, after this scene concludes, uh, he also has a couple interactions with the people in the wagon train. Oh, he does look down at his left wrist. I didn't notice that the the, the last yeah his still, wound is gone. It's not bound up anymore. It's yeah, it's back to normal, whatever. And uh, so the next scene, I think I think he has a I think he has a little talk with uh, Mister Adam. Uh, yeah, yeah, John Aston. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Charlie. Yep, and, and he said, "What what did you see over there over the rim or mm-hmm. whatever?" 
and uh, they just he said, "What's he say? Something like more, something more than you can realize, or something, yeah. like, something more of importance, more than you can realize." So it really bolsters his determination again to to keep pressing on because of what he read in the encyclopedia about his son, well, and and yeah. I think that's almost just a guarantee that they're going to make it now. Yeah. And I think that's bolstered his confidence. Right. So uh, the next scene, we, we're back, uh, recovery back at the diner. So Joe and Mary Lou are together in the diner, and they look at Christian's rifle, and it looks like it's been in the desert for 100 years. So he picks up the rifle at the at the scene or whatever. And then J- uh, Joe and Mary Lou are just, they're perplexed. They, they, they're like, where did he come from, and who is this guy? And then Joe says, finally, like, I think he went back to wherever it was that he came from because when he when we got to the top of the hill he just disappeared. So mm-hmm. leaves you with that mystery of the gun looks like it set out in the desert for a hundred years, but when Christian first came to the diner, you know Joe made the comment that this the gun looked like it was brand new, like it had been manufactured yeah, it like a, less than a year. Yeah, so like a replica. Yep. So and that's and I, I think it's really cool too when. When Joe goes to pick up the gun or something, it kind of breaks off. You know what I mean? Like, it's been out there a while. It's yeah. kind of brittle. You know what I mean? Yep. So, and then the very last scene, uh, Christian's wagon with his wife and Christian Jr. He looks back, and it looks like Christian Jr. is already starting to feel better. He's sitting up in the back of the wagon, and they're like, on. he's like, on to California. And then we close with Rod's uh, closing narration. So, uh... Trivia wise, you got anything off top? Where do you want me to launch into nope. trivia? Okay, go ahead. I don't. I didn't. I I couldn't find really anything for this episode. Like I said, it was very scarce for this episode. Yeah, I don't have a lot either. Uh, we already talked about uh, Cliff Robinson's uh, his preparedness and detailed treatment of this character. Aha! I gotta throw this one in here. The sheriff's patrol car is the 1961 Ford Galaxy used as the Mayberry Sheriff's Department patrol car in season two of the Andy Griffith. I was going to say, I was going to say, I I thought the way they were driving with it, it almost hits that telephone pole too, where they're chasing him up the thing, you know what I mean? Yeah, couldn't let that piece of trivia slide. So uh, J.J. Abrams said that this episode was his personal favorite out of the whole series. So Star Wars fans, there you go. Uh, this episode aired April 7th, 1961, five months before the events taking place in the calendar month posted in the diner, September 1961. Uh, there was an ad for Oasis cigarettes at the end of the episode. And then I talked to, there's a little bit of coordinates for the building for the air flight diner. I won't go into all that. Uh, it just says that the building had been closed and was in disrepair, but was still standing on US 395 near Grant and Olancha, California. So uh, as of 2015. And Jimbo uh, talked about this earlier, the Rip Van Winkle caper, and this episode were filmed back-to-back on location in, Lo- in Lone Pine. Um, uh, Owen S. Kimura of Young and Rubicom the sponsor advertising agency read about Cliff Robinson being signed to the Twilight Zone, and on that same afternoon, he came across an eight-year-old biography issued by CBS. Robertson was being criticized by the dean of Antioch College because the biography claimed that the actor had won letters in football, basketball, tennis, and track. Of course, the college had no intercollegiate sports programs. Kimura dug into the facts, and it turned out the biography was distributed by CBS. 
there were corrections in Robertson's own handwriting trying to set the record straight way back then. The error was publicly noted and corrected to ensue no bad publicity would result during Robertson's appearance on the program. So apparently there was an erroneous report that he had lettered in all these sports. He tried to correct the error and wrote a letter, and someone wrote a... CBS uh, said, nah. Yeah, they wrote a hit piece about him, and so the sponsors were like, ah, we better get out ahead of this before he stars in this episode or whatever, so... That's all I have as far as trivia. On to observations and questions and overall ratings. All right, right, Eric. How far would you go to save your child? Pretty far, I think. Yep. (laughs) You you say I'd go till it was done, right? I mean, I don't know. I've never... I'd like to believe that I would do whatever it took, but, you know, I've never been thrust into that... uh, you know, that situation, I guess. So that kind of reminds me of that movie, uh, John Q. Oh yeah. Yeah. With Denzel. Yeah. That's a great movie. If anybody's never seen that, watch that. It puts in a whole new perspective about how far you would go to do something yeah, to save your son. For so. sure. Um, here, here's, here's a question for you. A timeline continuum question. Uh, question mark. Christian juniors. I Christian juniors idea for penicillin. Was it stolen from the future? Right. <laughs> you know what you know what I thought about you know what I thought about when I was I was watching this again before we started recording yeah I just got done watching Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny <laughs> that's it. all I could think about I knew it if people have seen that movie I've seen it twice right now don't spoil it if, if you've seen that movie I'm not going to say any spoilers but uh, I got that vibe from it if you understand what you know you know where I'm going because you yeah. want me to see yeah. it so um, is it one of those things where if Cliff, or not Cliff, uh, what was his name? Chris? Yeah. Yeah, if Christian Horton, or even if Joe or the sheriff and all of them would have stopped him, I, I think a, an alternate ending could have been that they stopped him and locked him up, and then his son basically gets erased from the encyclopedia, and the, then it could show, like, there's no more people on the earth because there was no vaccinations for children. There was no... Um, the uh, vaccines for the child's diseases and all that. I think that would have been a very interesting alternative take on it. Yeah. Personally. Uh, but if you remember, I know you're a big back to the future fan. Uh, even in that, when he would do something in the past, it affected the future. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So when he came back to the future, so that's something to think about. That's what I was thinking about in this episode too. Yeah. Uh, overall, my takeaway, I thought it was a solid episode. I would probably rank it. With long distance call, I, I love the time travel ones. You you know that, of course. Um, yeah, I would say it was probably for me. It was like a seven, a seven and a half to an eight. Again, I would rank it about. Uh, it was definitely really good. I enjoyed it. Uh, I thought it was. Um, it was almost singularly acted, and obviously Christian was the the main character and carried the bulk of the the weight. Um, it was a pretty straightforward, simple plot. There wasn't too many big twists per se. Um, but overall, I, yeah, I just, I, I like the idea of, yeah, I just like the overall idea of, uh, a guy like you talked about, like he's going to do whatever it takes to save his son. He's, he's, uh, a hard nosed guy and never say die. Uh, you know, he's sturdy built 
guy from the 1800s that those people were just built different. The pioneers, those they they were they were unbelievable people, and you can read countless stories about their bravery and their determination in, in the history books. So yeah. Yep. <clears throat> Are you ready? Go for it. Personally, I am going to give this probably an eight to an eight five. Oh, I like history. I like reading about history. And when you thrust in somebody into the situation, I'm going to go as far as to say that uh, now I'll have to go back and, and, and research. But I think you can already make a strong case for Cliff Robinson be getting a uh, tragedy award for the singular performance oh. uh, of this season. I thought he was fantastic in this episode. Okay. I mean, let's face it. If he would have had a terrible, terrible showing in this, the episode would have tanked. Yeah. yeah you know okay. I mean? It yeah. would have got an 8 or an A5. I think he brought this episode to life. He made you believe that he was from 1847 yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Um, and I think I think his his facial expressions, his acting ability, it was perfect. Um I really, I mean, he's he's got to be he's he's in he's in the running. I'll say that, but I, I have to. I say that now. It's been a while since we watched the other twenty two episodes too, so I need to go back and make sure with only a handful, what five or six left in this season uh, that we need to cover. Um, I think he makes a great case for him having a a, a a tragedy award for the best performance of the season so far. Personally, um, better than yeah, uh, very good episode. Better than Agnes Moorhead. Well, that's this is the male version. We get the female <laughs> oh, version too. Don't forget. Okay. Right. You remember we give two, Eric. It's been a while. All you need right. to go back and listen to season one recap, right. and make sure you're tr- tr- tracking along too, because uh, you got to have your uh, episodes one to ten. Don't forget when we do our wrap up show, the tragedy awards. So for season two, yeah. For and sure. not only that, not only that, you're going to do while we're on that. You need to do the top ten of this season. And then we're going to take season one and season two and your top ten combined out of season one and season two. This will be interesting. So it will be very interesting. We'll we'll really have to see. Because to me, season one is blowing season two out of the water so far. That's all I'm saying. Uh, But when you get a strong performance like this, it makes you think. So, (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think we've rambled long, long enough, Eric. Yeah. Um, you got anything else to add before we wrap her up? No, let's move over the rim. Uh, <laughs> all right. If you'd like to follow us on Facebook, we are the Tragedy of Cinema Podcast on Facebook. If you want to join us on TikTok, you can find me there. Um, if you want to email us, we are the Tragedy of Cinema Podcast or the Tragedy of Cinema at gmail.com. Um, if you'd like to get on the Facebook group and, and, and message Eric and tell him how bad he is at, at the tra- at the <laughs> yes. Twilight Zone, that's fine too. Please don't hesitate. So, yeah. <laughs> With that being said, I think this episode's coming to a close, and that's a wrap. And cut! Mr. Christian Horn, one of the hearty breed of men who headed west during a time when there were no concrete highways or the solace of civilization. Mr. Christian Horn and family and party... Heading west after a brief detour through the twilight zone.